Welcome to Newcastle Libraries Real. Newcastle Libraries can be accessed from wherever you live with the Newcastle Library app. Put borrowing at your fingertips. I invite you to close your eyes and imagine. Imagine that there are no buildings, no roads, no cars, just the trees, plants, animals and the very first storytellers of this land, the Awabakal and Waramai people. I acknowledge them as the traditional custodians of this beautiful land in which we live. Welcome to the Treasures from the Rare Book Room podcast. Newcastle Library's Heritage Collection contains more than 440,000 items in various formats from mayoral portraits and snowballs plate glass negatives to the original Menzies Declaration and the Creer and Berkeley Archive of Subdivision Maps. A wide range of Newcastle's stories are presented in the Library's Heritage Collection. Join us as we explore one piece from the Library's fascinating Rare Book Room. Welcome to our Treasures from the Rare Book Room podcast. I am Kerry Shaw, Heritage Collections Digitisation Specialist at Newcastle Libraries. In this episode of Treasures from the Rare Book Room, we are diving into the complex world of botany and orchids. Claire Presser, our Digital Library Activation Specialist, has spoken to a botanist and a librarian to find out why Australian orchids are so special. Sally Stewart, librarian for the Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria, and Peter Weston from the National Herbarium of New South Wales discuss R.D. Fitzgerald and his botanical practices that led to the publication of Australian Orchids, a collection that forms part of Newcastle Library's treasures. I was in a canoe club many, many years ago and we used to get a wild every now and then you'd you'd see orchids hanging off limbs of trees and twigs and wonder where they were. People just attract to certain things and for me personally orchids the biggest family of flowering plants in the world and they're they're generally pretty uncommon. They've got a bit of a stigma attached to them. You don't sort of see them, you know, dominating landscapes and communities like you do eucalypts and wattles and things like that. But yeah, they're incredibly diverse, really interesting pollinating mechanisms and things, and there's just so much to learn about them that you can spend a lifetime studying them and you're just sort of scratching the surface. So there's just so much to see and learn about orchids. So it's one of the reasons I'm drawn to them. They're a tricky group, but at the end of the day, they're just gobsmackingly beautiful things and interesting. So even if you sort of remove that scientific element, just seeing an orchid is just really cool. Yeah, can't get enough of them. Well, they're absolutely beautiful. Some of them are only uh, centimetres high. Some of them are bright coloured, some of them are quite dull. But it's the fact that nobody does anything to these things. It's just nature. These little things just pop up of their own accord when they're ready. There's nothing we can do to help them along. They, they just pop up. And for me, it's just like a, a wonderful surprise. It's magic just to be walking through a fairly dull bushland and find one of these little terrestrial orchids. They're just magic. People seem to be drawn to orchids and I often wonder what it is because it just looks a boring old plant with boring old leaves. And then they flower and you think, oh my goodness, look at that. It is the most magnificent flower. Sometimes they're really bright and they're really showy flowers and we've seen them at orchid shows they're just absolutely magnificent 
and our wild orchids are just as fascinating as those orchids that come from, say, years of breeding. I love the diversity, I love where they grow, I love the habitats where they grow, and they're really, really special plants. And they are so interesting as well. I mean, not just from the look at, but how they grow and how they're pollinated. Uh, let's explore some of those things. That would be good to do. So my name is Sally Stewart and I am the librarian at the Royal Botanic Gardens, Victoria. We're taking this opportunity in order to be able to talk about Robert Fitzgerald and the Australian orchid books. So Robert David Fitzgerald was born in 1830. He lived in the, or was born in County Kerry in Ireland. He emigrated to Australia at the age of 26. He was from a, a good family. His father, I think, was a banker and Fitzgerald was educated in Ireland before he came out here and he was a, a civil engineer or surveyor. And when he migrated to Sydney, New South Wales, he was fairly quickly picked up as an employee or an engineer surveyor with the lands department. He married. He had six children. He was a keen, dedicated naturalist. He was a very well-rounded person. From a very young age, he was studying birds. You could call him an ornithologist. He was writing poetry. He was writing about birds and submitting articles to local um, magazines. He learned how to do taxidermy. He was very talented, very knowledgeable, very intelligent, and by all accounts, sounds like a really lovely man. I have a description of him as sedate, grave, but with a fund of Irish humour. I heard that he played with his children, which was possibly a rare thing back in those days. He would take them out and actually play and introduce them to all his interests as well and got them interested in natural history. So that's a nice thing to know about him as well. He wasn't all gruff and stern and focused on his work 100% of the time. And his, his marriage was, he married well. Because <laughs> he, he, he married the daughter of Edward Hunt, who was apparently quite a prominent landowner at the time. Yeah. I don't know too much about his wife. I think she was called Emily. Mm -hmm. um, but one hopes that given that they had six children, that they had a really loving and good relationship. Unfortunately, she passed away at a young age, and I think she passed away in childbirth. So that's a really sad part of her story and his and the family's, I guess. How does being a surveyor and being a naturalist kind of work together? Because a lot of the time you kind of expect somebody that is writing a treatise on a particular plant family, that that's something that they've kind of dedicated their life to. But he essentially had a day job and did this not, yes. not completely well, in his spare time, but at least sort of around it. He wasn't actually writing the descriptions for all the species that he located. He did discover a number of plants. I can't remember how many of them he included in Australian orchids, but a lot of the orchids had already been described. So his key effort, I guess, from my understanding, is locating the specimens and painting them, drawing them. Then he would he would write a description and he would put in an awful lot of detail into that as well, but a lot of them had already been described, so he wasn't the first author for uh, the vast majority of these orchids. 
But his work with the Surveyor General's Department or the Surveyor's Department meant that he was able to get out and about and would opportunistically take plants from the wild if he saw something of interest while he was out in the field doing a surveying job, which is not unlike, I don't, I'm not sure if you've heard of Stan Kelly, who is a train driver in Victoria, who also loved illustrating eucalypts. And he would sometimes stop his train when he saw a plant that took his interest and he would get off the train, go and snap off a piece of foliage from that tree and come back and start the train rolling again. I don't think it made him late in his destination, but probably in the same way Fitzgerald would take advantage of plants that he found out in the field, bring them home with him and illustrate them for his book. He was also really lucky in that the department supported his work and they actually were the printers. The Surveyor General's office printed the volumes that he produced, which is a pretty amazing and difficult and expensive component of the whole publishing process. So he was really fortunate in that regard. Because I haven't actually seen the books because we're in lockdown. Ah, it says okay. that it's a 12-volume collection. It's 12 parts but two volumes. Ah. So the first, it was intended to be seven, seven parts in the first volume and seven parts in the second. Fitzgerald passed away before he finished, realised his vision, so only five were done of the second volume. Yes, it's a large publication. They're the big leather-bound tomes, essentially. They're not teeny <laughs> tiny little books. I didn't realise that Fitzgerald had actually put these together relatively late in his life. He was born passed- in 1830. Mm. I think the first one came out in 75. So what's that? 40, he was 45 when he put the first part out or published the first part. But I guess given that it wasn't his primary focus, that he was employed for the Surveyor General or the Lands Department, he had a lot of other things to keep him busy. Yeah, he was a bit different to a lot of other botanists. He would really only work from live plants. So he did things, you know, that are illegal now and we wouldn't do them in that he would go out, see a plant, dig it up, take it back to his, he had a kind of a fernery, a grotto kind of set up in his garden that was a really nice environment for orchids and ferns to grow. And he would try and grow plants on in that environment. And he would then draw the plant from a live specimen. And apparently most often when a botanist describes a plant and illustrates it, they then make a dried pressing of that plant and send it to a herbarium for storage. The National Herbarium of New South Wales is a botanical museum and it's a museum with over a million pressed dried plant specimens. So it's the botanical equivalent in New South Wales of the Australian Museum, which is the major institution holding specimens of, of animals in New South Wales. The herbarium's also pretty much the, they're responsible for looking after plant names of New South Wales plants. If anyone wants to know what a particular plant is in New South Wales, the National Herbarium of New South Wales is the primary kind of authority to advise them what the, the plants are. I'm Peter Weston and I'm a honorary research associate at the National Herbarium of New South Wales, which is effectively the scientific division of the Royal Botanic Garden in Sydney. I've had a chat with the librarian of the herbarium in Victoria, 
because Fitzgerald used to collect samples and send them to Von Mueller because I think that that was the major herbarium collection at the time. We we didn't actually have a herbarium in Sydney until I think it's 1900, the the turn of the century anyway. Yeah, Ferdinand Mueller was the Victorian government botanist and he started a herbarium in Melbourne. Gee, I think it might have been in the, the 1850s. Prior to that, Botanists who collected uh, botanical specimens in Australia sent them all back to, to Europe. But Fitzgerald didn't do that. He would draw the plant and then apparently would throw the plant away, which is a real shame and it would have frustrated the botanists at, at the time <laughs> because it sort of goes against the rules of botanical nomenclature. He had illustrations of it. Why is it important hmm. to have the actual plant? Because illustrations are always inaccurate to some degree. Even the very best illustrations, you know, don't show you everything. A, a specimen, well, it can be looked at over and over again, can be examined in different ways. So, for example, right now we've got a, there's a big project going on in Australia called Genomics of Australian Plants, and uh, it's a GAP project. I'm involved in a couple of sub-projects of the GAP project, and we're trying to, get extensive DNA sequences from at least one plant of every species of plant in Australia. That's the the aim of that project. And you can use these specimens, little pieces taken off the specimens in the botanical museums, the herbarium, uh, to extract DNA and sequence it. And that gives us a huge amount of information that can be used for, for various scientific purposes. But for, for me, the, the most exciting thing is using those DNA sequences to reconstruct with a high degree of precision the, the evolutionary relationships between different kinds of plants, uh, which gives us a real window into knowledge about the evolutionary history of, of the Australian flora. And so that's just one of the purposes you can use those specimens for. But we've been using specimens in botanical museums for, for many, many years to find out about plants. You can use those specimens to conduct anatomical studies and, and that kind of thing as well, to look at the, the really detailed morphology or a shape and form of, of internal parts of, of plants using those specimens. Another thing is that you know, for each species of plant, the name is formally attached uh, in, by the rules of nomenclature to one specimen. And if Fitzgerald had kept all of his specimens, we would actually have what we call type specimens, those specimens to which the names are attached. As it is, all of the names of the plants that you know, Fitzgerald, well, most of the names, I should say, of the plants that Fitzgerald collected that were, were named by others and the few species that he named himself are attached not to actual specimens but to his illustrations. And the, the ones that we are familiar with, you know, we're familiar with the, the actual plants, they're pretty good, they're pretty accurate, they're, they are, and they're certainly very beautiful. But some of them mm, look a little bit inaccurate. Uh, and in some cases... We don't know where they are or not because those plants have plants, you know, that really are very closely resemble his illustrations have never been found again. There's a, a species from that was originally collected by Fitzgerald at Glazeville. Looks really unusual for the for the genus of plants to which it belongs. It's called Diurus bracteata, and Fitzgerald named that species. 
There's no specimen. There's only his illustration, and we've never seen really anything exactly or very closely matching his illustration. There is a species from it's only known from the central coast that most closely resembles it, but even it is is different in some important respects. So. It would have been lovely if he kept a specimen of Tyrus bracteata that we could use as a reference specimen for our research. He was an amateur, not a trained botanist, and he did things in his own very intelligent and clever way, but it wasn't the traditional way that botanists operate. He was more than more than your average amateur. He was very, very learned and very well read, and he he knew and understood botany. He was a member of the Horticultural Society of New South Wales. He was a member of the Acclimatisation of Society, the Linnaean Society of New South Wales. Mueller recommended him to be a fellow of the Linnaean Society in London. And I think he asked George Bentham, who was in London, to, to second that recommendation. And that obviously must have gone through. And he was also a member of the Royal Society of New South Wales. So he was absolutely respected as if he was you know, a trained and professional scientist. Of course, also his lithographer stops he met at work. They became good friends and they were able to, you know, work together and stops did an amazing job lithographing, transferring his illustrations to lithographic plates. Stops was a professional watercolorist and lithographer. That was his true profession. So I suspect that Fitzgerald was really relieved that he took over that process. So he transferred Fitzgerald's illustrations to stone for printing. And Fitzgerald also, after they were printed in black and white onto paper, he then also provided instruction to the hand colourists as to what colours to use for all the different species that he'd illustrated. You know, he was the core artist behind the work, but stops transferred to the lithographic plates. And when you're doing botanical research, it really helps to have a familiarity with the the plants in their living state, because that's what we're interested in after all. And the living plants do contain more information that we can access than the dried specimens, but we can get a lot from the dried specimens too. The species of plants that I've named, I've never seen in, in the flesh. In, you know, as, as live plants. I've only ever seen dried specimens of them. And uh, globally, I'd say very high percentage of, of named plants were never seen live by the people who described them and named them. And that's because you know, the majority of plants in the world actually live in the tropics. And the, the scientists who've been working on those plants are usually based in countries in temperate or subtropical areas, you know. Most of the people who worked on the flora, for example, of New Guinea don't actually and didn't ever live in New Guinea. Some of them worked there uh, as botanists, as field botanists, but a lot of the people who've worked on the plants of New Guinea lived and worked in, in Holland or, or Canberra or London or, or Washington or New York. So you can do a heck of a lot with preserved specimens of, of plants and animals. On the other hand, the difference between a preserved specimen and an illustration is huge because the specimen is actually an element of reality. That's that's something real. Whereas the illustration and a description, they're models. So they're one step of abstraction removed from reality and the specimens are 
they might be Preston Dryden dead, but there's still an aspect of, of reality rather than a model of reality. Thanks so much for listening to the Treasures from the Rare Book Room podcast. To access and browse Newcastle Library's collections, please visit our website at newcastle.nsw.gov.au slash library. To view our heritage collection, just Google Hunter Photo Bank. The online collection is constantly being added to as items are digitised and loaded, so be sure to visit often. This has been a Newcastle Library's Real Production.